Greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We're giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal, the incidents, <laughs> the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about slow motion triple feature? I'm your host, Mike Keller, and I am joined today by my good friends, Kit and Andrew. Uh, tonight, we are continuing Andrew's unusual biopics triple feature with 1994's Ed Wood, directed by Tim Burton, written by Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski, and starring Johnny Depp, Martin Landau, Sarah Jessica Parker, Patricia Arquette, and Bill Murray. How are you guys doing today? Good. Good. Yeah. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I was sick earlier in the week, and so I'm, I'm still a little, like, groggy, like little worn out but uh i'm getting like like my back to life kind of energy so i'm I'm feeling pretty good you always look the same so i can never tell yeah i always look kind of ill (laughs) um but uh but yeah what's kit how you been i'm good i got my flu shot yesterday and so i don't feel fluey but i'm just like kind of tired and i'm blaming it on that yeah 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 you look just i'm probably just tired for the audience, uh, that's why I'm laying down. Yeah, you are fully laying down, to <laughs> pre- which you have done before. Like this is not a, um, this is not not a, like on not this much. Mm, there was one time where I'm pretty sure you were fully asleep, but still you <laughs> participated. So I mean, more than either I mean, of you. Yeah, exactly. Kit, I can't argue with it. She has done this podcast with coronavirus, and now she's doing it with the vaccine mm-hmm. coursing through her veins. So whether you are uh like anti-vaxxer or a big coronavirus i don't know you're nuts about it or something support you a supporter respect. yeah or i don't know like you think it's like you know the the you know Thin- it's bad it's a bad finally bad finally something's thinning the herd is that what you're trying to get right. at mike no i'm saying what wherever you stand on covid okay. she's also got the vaccine so even if you think coronavirus is a hoax and all these people are oh, okay. just pretending that they have the flu if you're one of those people, which is fine. We accept all types here. Uh, uh, but, you know, she also has the, the dreaded vaccine coursing through mm-hmm. her veins. So you got to respect either way. She's mm-hmm. she's coming. She's showing up to the game, bringing her A game. Yeah. Laying down. Neither COVID nor the vaccine for COVID could stop me. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's much more concise. <laughs> they were co- they were coming at you from both from both angles. Um, mm-hmm. I also I got my I got my booster last weekend and uh, I was also feeling a little sick this week. Um, but you know what? I feel stronger and more powerful than ever. Mm. I feel invincible. Nice. I heard that's a side effect. Uh huh. Well, I invincibility. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel like think... I'm. I feel like I'm in my super my own superhero origin story right now. Uh, I cool. will say that when I got my shot, I um, as usual uh, whined about it. Uh, got into the room or whatever, and he pulls his needle out, and I started like you know breathing heavily and just saying like, okay, I'm. Just, <laughs> I was letting you know I'm afraid of needles and I'm really sorry for uh, acting like a child or whatever. And he did the best thing. This is the best thing ever, I think. He goes, he goes, hey, you know what? It's no problem. No big deal. Uh, what do you want me to do? You want me to count to three, two, and then 
before he even finished counting the needle was in. <laughs> and I was like, this is what you do to small children. <laughs> and I and I got up and I said, thank you. I really appreciate Fair that. Enough. I wish I wish all needle st- dudes did the same thing. Needle dudes. Yeah. yeah. I got my blood needle drawn dudes. and my flu shot at the same time in the same hmm. sesh. So I'm did also very the, brave for that reason. Mm-hmm. The did you get the COVID flu shot or the No, I got the flu, flu shot. shot. I haven't oh, I, I don't gotcha. think we're eligible for boosters here yet. Well, you, you are. Had, you had COVID. So you, are. you don't need to get a booster. You you everybody is uh I guess I'm not I don't mean eligible, but I'm like I'm not getting like, "Hey, come get your booster, 33-year-old," you know? No, I don't right. think but I Maybe am. we should look into it. It's easy. Did we, you have COVID? After when did you get COVID? Did you I have had your COVID, vaccine? then I got the vaccine. So like, yeah, again, oh, another okay. way in which I'm basically a superhero. But you know, whatever, put it all in me. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that getting your drug, your your drug blonde, uh, your blood drawn, <laughs> is um, yeah, it's not. That's not as bad. Like that's pretty. E- that's pretty easy compared to getting an injection. Yo, not both of them were extremely easy. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, Kit, wrong. Sometimes, here's the thing. Neither of them hurt. Both were fine. I, and I've never gotten like (laughs) queasy or fainty from, but sometimes with the blood being drawn, just kind of like thinking about like, and looking at the blood leaving my body. Why do you look at it? What's wrong? Why would you look at it? It's interesting. See, to me, that's like touching an eyeball. Like, why would you ever do it? You've never touched your eyeball? Fuck no. That's disgusting and weird and you should- I touch my eyeball all the time. I have contacts. It's gross. Sometimes I'm in in meetings, like Zoom meetings, and I'll like touch my eye and I'm like, oh, I wonder if I'm totally freaking people out right now. The answer is yes. (laughs) You want to know why you didn't get the big promotion? Because you're a weed. Yeah, (laughs) that's one. Because you always, you pop your glass eye out during every meeting and polish it and pop it back (laughs) Can't do that in front of she makes a big show of it. She's just like <sighs> rubbing it on her shirt, and it makes a big bing, bing, bing. it makes a big pop sound when she puts it back in. Uh, it's, it's even worse during the in-person meetings when you're not doing the virtual stuff. That's true. A little bit of eye yeah. juice drips out, and they can smell it. Oh god! Yeah, <laughs> that is the so, most disgusting thing you've ever said. <laughs> I think it's fair to say that none of us watched the movie. Um, <laughs> no, none I of did. Us have seen it. I watched it. Oh, okay. I did watch it, and I had. Oh, We've I all had... seen it before, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've seen yeah. this movie so many times. Yeah. Oh. I have only um, seen it once. Okay. I watched it like a decade ago, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, so I came. I, I felt fairly fresh. There are a few things. I mean, it's a very memorable movie, so I I retained a lot of it, but it felt it felt yeah. fairly fresh coming into it. <laughs> Very nice. So yeah, uh, so yeah, I guess uh, that's your history with it. What? Uh, so it's part of your unusual biopics. Yes. Or biopics. Yes. So, so for uh, for for context, I don't know if I gave this context last week, but like I have this thing where I like I kind of hate uh, biopics, but there mm-hmm. are a few of them that I really, really, really like. Um. I think a lot of I think just like you know movies in general I think um have like you know formulas that they adhere to I mm-hmm. think bio biopics 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 Oh yeah I say both. I think it's biopics I always say both I never say just one uh, But I think I think biopics are like the most obnoxious 
to me. I don't know. There's something. Mm-hmm. There's something like movies like Ray and um, mm-hmm. Walk, Walk the, the line. line. Yeah, to some degree. Uh, even other ones like kind of big like awards. Uh, mm-hmm. Like stuff like Gandhi, even is is just like kind of not. I don't know. There's just something about it where it's like I don't know. There's maybe it's because they feel like they're trying so hard to toe the line between somebody being a protagonist and also being a piece of shit in a lot of cases. Like I feel That's, like yeah. And there's some. There's, I think especially in like Ray. And walk the line. Like, I think the most conventional thing about this biopic is that the protagonist, the subject, was an alcoholic and they don't portray that at all. Right. Like, whereas any other biopic or most like mainstream Hollywood biopics are like, what's yeah. the worst moment of this person's life and how <laughs> can we apply it to the entire story? Like, like I have to be, I have to feel like inspired in the first half and then i have to in the second half i have to see uh you know the the lead you know uh get hooked on heroin and and Mm -hmm. uh slap his wife at some point and then have some sort of comeback in the end and feel good about it i don't know so it's just like Mm -hmm. well especially like entertainment biopics yes absolutely like specific yeah like ray charles johnny cash like ed wood and kathy also like reportedly beat the shit out of each other yeah as well Mm -hmm. and that's not in here either which is great thank god if you want to know more about that i highly recommend ed wood nightmare of ecstasy by rudolph gray it's one of my favorite this is truly one of my favorite books i have ever read i've read (laughs) it three times um it's it's an excellent it's what they you know based it's the research from that book is what they based uh their screenplay on and uh, that's interesting it is goes into good detail it's it's a lot uh, it's much more of a bummer than the film, mm-hmm. but uh, I like I love the book. I love the film. So anyways, there's something but there's something about stylizing it in this way. There's something about like taking the sort of um, Pee Wee's Big Adventure approach where it's like kind of a somewhat hapless uh, like caricature mm-hmm. of a person at the center. And then everyone else is sort of like examining this person. There's something mm-hmm. a, there's something about that that I think. I don't know. There's it's it feels more accessible to me. It mm-hmm. feels more honest to me. So even if mm-hmm. even if even if the the depiction of the character isn't true a hundred percent, which who gives a fuck? Uh, yeah, uh, it's a movie, so you shouldn't. Yeah. You should. No one should be getting their information from a fiction film, no matter if it's based on uh, true events or not. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's something there's something about this movie that just and honestly, this movie it's it's less about Ed Wood specifically to me and more about Tim Burton loving movies. Um mm-hmm. yeah. So that works. Yeah, it's uh, about it's about movies. It's about being an artist and mm-hmm. making stuff and the joy that comes from that regardless of whether you're good at it. And I think we can all <laughs> Agre- yeah, you know, it's interesting. Absolutely. Like this movie, this movie was not very successful at the box office, but we all think it's great, and a lot of people since then have thought it was great. And so I wonder if the general public is not as interested in stories about being an artist <laughs> as they are in, you know, a conventional 
biopic. It's funny that you bring up Pee-wee's Big Adventure because Bella also says almost the same line that Pee-wee does when he's, you know, <laughs> Ed, Ed is apologizing that he didn't get to see the movie and he says, I don't need to see it. What did he say? I rem- I memorized it or it, something like that. I lived it. I don't well, know, something like that. But it's I lived it in Pee-wee. Yeah. 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 There is a lot of Pee-wee connection to this that I guess I, I don't think I had watched this movie for a couple of years now, probably two or three years. Mm-hmm. And um, it, almost exactly what Andrew was just talking about. What, one of the things I had in my notes was that I that this film, what did I say? It builds this absurd world off of the main character. Um, so like like with Pee Wee, like with the SpongeBob movie, like a lot of my favorite movies you have. I mean, SpongeBob movie is a bad example, but Pee Wee is a good example where you have <clears throat> pretty much the real world. Um, But it becomes a cartoon because your protagonist is just so Mm -hmm. bent that like, like the, the yours, you get to see it through their perspective in a way, like you're along for the ride with them. And um, there was the scene in this where I think where that kind of clicked with me. I mean, that's kind of obvious about the movie, but just like the degree to which reality gets pitched up, uh, there is a scene where uh, production has started for Plan 9 from Outer Space. Uh, Patricia Arquette is sit- sitting at the table uh, painting paper plates so they can be flying saucers. Uh, somebody comes and knocks on the door. Ed mm. gets up to get it, and it's Paul, who has brought him the Lugosi replacements. And there's just three men standing there. And he's like, this one's too short. This one's too tall. And then the other guy is Asian. He's like, "And he just won't work at all. And then Paul is like sincerely like like he's like shoot I thought it would work because of like you know Fu Manchu and and he explains it anyways but like Paul's sincerity how happy Patricia Arquette is just like painting away at these plates mm-hmm. and then Ed's personality through the whole movie is like this like constant like optimism um, but it's just like I don't know for some reason that's a scene that's never really stuck out to me before but I just like cracked up this time and it's like I it's just like it's so I don't know. There's so much weird stuff happening there, but you're deep enough into the movie where it doesn't quite it didn't quite click with me before until like I kind of this time I was like, this is really weird and and very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but, oh, but yeah, it, Tim Burton, that's something Tim Burton used to do very well. Yeah, a lot of his movies uh, early on it, were kind of like it this. also makes me think, um, Mike, you haven't watched Dolomite is my name yet, have you? Yeah, I did watch that. That watching this, having now seen that, is like, mm-hmm. whoa! They were looking. I really think they were looking to this movie because it's that same feeling of just, well, a protagonist who's so optimistic. You know that that's the same screenwriters, right? No. Yeah, it's Scott Alexander. That and makes Larry perfect. Karaziski. That makes perfect yeah. sense. And I love both movies. Like, yeah. I think I thought Dolomite was really good. It's not as good. I as thought this Dolomite movie, was good. But... I was I was more so so on it than. I mean, I mean, Ed was just one of my favorite movies, but like it has um, that same charm to me. Where Dolomite, the conflicts are always external, which is in a lot of mo- sense movies that's like not necessarily a good thing. But in a biopic where it's not like drugs or the person having a bad childhood, where it's literally just like this guy wants to make a movie and that's hard. Yeah, <laughs> but like he doesn't get into a big fight with all of his friends. He does like nothing. Everyone loves him and they like persevere and make it and their only obstacle is like you know it's hard to do what they're trying to do yeah um and you know ed wood is similar like his you know sjp leaves him and stuff but it's it's not like there's 
some big conflict or some big fight with Bella before he dies or something. It's like, nope, he everyone loved him and <laughs> he was the same guy the whole time. He never even really gets frustrated except at the Baptists and <laughs> and he meets and and he meets Orson Welles and Orson <laughs> Welles is like, you know, nice to him. Like Yeah. Yeah. The way the real world is depicted in this movie is really Johnny Depp's performance, the black and white, those seem to like adhere more to like the uh the depiction of the fifties in the mo- in, in yes. movies. But then the actual world we're inhabiting is like the actual 50s. Yes. And it's, I don't know, it's interesting. So I feel like Ed, Johnny Depp is like, is Ed Wood's movies. Like that's, mm-hmm. is this making any sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noted, I noted a similar thing. Okay. It's just, I'm just thinking out loud, but it's, it's, it is interesting to me because, and, th- and that's, and that's one of the things that I find very honest about the movie is that um, like the real world is very, is kind of shitty um and the people he's working with are you know they're all kind of like uh like terrible uh either 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 like hucksters or like terrible uh studio heads and like the only people he can really even like the 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 people they cast to be like all the all the supporting characters i don't know if this is insulting or not but it's like it's like diane diane arbus light or something like that like Mm -hmm. there's something and maybe this is just Tim Burton in general, like Tim Burton likes, yeah. you know, it's, it's like a Tim Burton-y kind of Gilmore, Guillermo del Toro thing where he likes kind of like strange looking, be- mm-hmm. not strange looking, but just like people who feel like real people, but who don't look like movie stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, and like the real Dolores Fuller, like her in Glenn or Glenda, she looks like a character in a John Waters movie to me. I'm not saying she's even unattractive, but she just has like, <laughs> it's like, that's not a lady that I would expect to see in a film from this, from this period. Um, and I, I also think of like the black and white, like kind of to the, to what you're saying. This is, this movie's gorgeous, I think. And there Absolutely. are times where it's very much emulating movies from the 40s and 50s like there's specific shots that are sort of referencing citizen kane and stuff Mm -hmm. um but then there's other parts where and obviously like when they're in bella's house it's just like the black it's just like the contrast is so amazing it's just all this like shadow and light and everything it's amazing but then there's also there's like the scene where bill murray is in the hallway talking to all of the cross-dressers where the style like completely changes. It's like a handheld camera. Um, it's like a long take, him just walking back and forth. And the sound even changes where like you hear the hall, the echo of the hallway very clearly. Um, yes. And I actually really like that. Like it becomes very 90s all of a sudden. And I think that that's kind of to suit the performance style of the person. Which, I don't know, it's, it seems to, I think Tim Burton is like that as much as he's known for these kinds of like, this kind of meticulous art direction. He's also known for working quickly and delivering things on time and kind of allowing for uh, collaboration and and creativity on set, I think. And, or at least he was (laughs) at that time. And I like how the movie was like as great as it was at 
emulating certain things from the 40s and 50s and as in love, obviously, as it is with those aesthetics, it's not like pedantically holding to them. And it's, you know, doing that's, its own thing. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I, I noted that that scene, too. Um, I think being able to pivot like that mm-hmm. is a real skill. Um, well, and I read that Bill Murray's character did not initially have very many lines <laughs> in the script. Really? And then so when they was cast, say, they were like, okay. If if the uh, Nick's on the Nelly without losing naivete, if that was not in the script and he came up with that, that is a, a brilliant line <laughs> for that scene. That is incredible. Um, you were saying something. So I did read uh, on the Wikipedia that I guess Burton in an interview had said that they did not storyboard this entire film. So I think that that contributes. Like, there's mm. some scenes where they clearly, you know, there's the production design and all this kind of right. stuff, and like they must have had to lay this out. But uh, yeah, I think there is that kind of a, a looser feeling to a lot of it, and it plays interestingly into this particular story and this particular movie. Just I think um, that's really interesting. Sort of that, both. That is really interesting, and I wonder if it's just I wonder, you know, like how much of this movie is just Tim Burton's, you know, film knowledge, like just the movies he's seen floating around in his head, um, because there are. Mm-hmm. There are things that feel, you know, very that I don't know that fe- like you said, they feel very, uh, very planned out, very rehearsed. I mean, that opening shot is. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's so cool. It's like watching the, it's uh, weird that that the doesn't old dark come house up in like it doesn't yeah. really come up in like credits discussions of like the best credit sequences. That I doesn't really. That's happen. true. Yeah. So I watched a little thing on the Blu-ray. Something interesting about the credits. They. um the where they're going over Hollywood, the, the miniature version of Hollywood. So they built that. Um, and then they did not want to use that exact same thing when they were doing uh, the plan nine, when they're filming that in the movie, they wanted to make it look slightly crappier because there was no way that like an Ed Wood movie was going to have a, a set like that. Um, so yeah, that was uh, the guy's name was uh, uh, Tom Duffield. And he is, he also production designed the ring uh, but then he's art directed like uh, Beetlejuice, Ghostbusters 2, there Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns. That's um, interesting. A Little Princess, Men in Black. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So he was and he it was basically just him going through his his production design notebook that he had made and talking about it. And I thought that that was kind of one of the funnier little pieces of trivia, just that like they knew they couldn't reuse that for an actual Ed Wood movie. I was just going to say a tiny little detail that I really, really loved about that uh-huh. opening when they show like the Hollywood sign is the way the Hollywood sign is lit without the like strobe lightning effect, like mm-hmm. between that, yeah. like you, it's got these like tiny little like edge lights on the bottom that are like really pretty, give you a sense of the shape. Uh, I don't know. It's really cool. Uh, Interesting. It's just like this, these little like special lights that were put into to just barely highlight it. But it's not like usually when you're shooting something at night you backlight it like that's the whole thing is you need to pull it out of the background by creating an edge and this is not quite that so i don't know that's just something i noted very interesting yeah i love that the i guess yeah that was one of my notes just everything about the opening credits between the rainy you know mansion uh Mm -hmm. criswell and the the theremin all that kind of stuff and then the way and then you know going into like the first scene like the opening scene i feel like it pretty perfectly primes the audience for 
the way this movie is going to communicate with them. Um, Bill Murray is standing outside the theater. He's distraught. He asks, uh, it's press night and there's no, or, or there's no press. What will, what will I tell the cast? Um, so he's completely like in Ed Wood's, like, he's sort of like, sort of, I don't know, infected by Ed Wood's maybe, uh, <laughs> optimism or something like that. But he says, um, but that, but then it shows, it shows the inside of the theater and it's like four people in a bucket, <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> uh, which I thought was fucking so awesome. Just a great way of just like telling you, okay, this is the character that you're dealing, that you're going to be watching. And this is mm-hmm. the reality that he inhabits. And so just well, like, yeah. just like show, showing that disconnect perfectly yeah. in 30 seconds. It's even worse. Cause it's like to still describe that as a press night is so funny. Like, <laughs> like, the problem that he's histrionic about is not even the actual problem, which is very funny. And that character, that's a really interesting guy. It made me, I never knew that he was the basis for Myra Breckenridge. Um, oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah, Who's that? that's why they're both Breckenridge. Bunny. It's a Gore Vidal novel. Oh, okay. Um, and like he was friends with like Princess Margaret and Elvis and like all of these. He was like he seems super cool and he was like totally beloved by um by very famous people, by hippies in his neighborhood, by everybody. Yeah. Well, if he was anything like Bill Murray's presentation of him, I could I could see why. Yeah. Yeah. I think what is it? Like Mexico was a nightmare. Like the whole speech <laughs> yeah. he talks about. Uh good stuff. Um all right. Sorry. Oh, I've got some stuff. We kind of launched through the whether or not we'd seen it before. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I'll just throw it in here. Uh, so like this movie is like pretty much foundational to me uh, mm-hmm. in in a way, in the way that a movie can be um, like I watched it. My, my friend John got kind of into a Tim Burton kick when we were like, I think, junior, senior year of high school. And so we together we watched most of his movies and like i had seen several of them when i was younger and stuff but i had never seen ed wood i don't believe until i watched it with him and uh i think being where i was in high school and like you know kind of feeling like a loser and then but it's like you got to make something of your life or whatever there was something so appealing about like the ed wood character to me and and at the same time i've always really liked like the 50s kind of like monster movie kind of mm-hmm. vibe of things or your fifties, like sci-fi and horror and, and, and forties and stuff. Um, but anyways, so like this movie just has like, like Ed Wood is just like a character that is just like lives in my heart. Um, uh, now yeah. do you and mean, like, do you mean this depiction of him or do you yes. mean the, okay, but not the actual human being? Well, Ed Wood. I think kind both. of both because like when, when I read the, the Edward biography, it's like, it's kind of a similar thing, but like the Johnny Depp is kind of like the, what you want to be. And then mm-hmm. the Edward is like, maybe that <laughs> things didn't go that badly, but, uh, it's, it's more of like, I mean, it's just a realistic story, but yeah, like sort of like, I love underdogs. I love losers. And like this Edward is like, I mean, to me, this is up like, obviously it's one of my favorites, but like, as far as like specifically like movies about being a loser, it's like I love Kingpin. Um, mm-hmm. I love Ed Wood. I don't they're just like I don't know. I don't know. I guess I draw a lot of inspiration. Like when you feel defeated, Bill Murray. when you feel like you failed. What's well, yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Um but uh yeah, it just like 
this movie, I probably could pick Ed Wood up at pretty much any time and like feel inspired by it. like even like yesterday yeah. after I watched it, I was like, I should start writing again. I haven't written anything for for so long or, you know, and not necessarily that that's even like a great thing. Like that doesn't really mean mm-hmm. anything about the movie, but there's just something so appealing about this character and just this mindset. Um, and on top of that, there's the 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 podcast that Joe Dante does with um, Josh Olson. It's called Trailers from Hell. And uh, or I think it's called The Movies That Made Me or something. Anyhow, they they have filmmakers on, they have actors and and just all people from all over the film industry on. And uh, they just talk to them about the movies that made them, quote unquote. And like, um, I I haven't listened to it in a, in a while. I kind of fell out of the habit. But like, I mean, almost everybody like Ed Wood comes up on almost every single episode as a wow. movie that people look to as like. It's like, oh, when I was younger and I watched that, like that's like that totally inspired me and like kept me going and like all this kind of stuff. So I think for artists, that's a huge part of why this movie has appeal. But but then I wonder, too, just for like a regular Joe, just kind of his optimism and his like finding the silver lining in every challenge, you know, in the film, the Ed Wood character does. Um, Mm -hmm. But oh, and the second thing on the personal note was uh, I got this movie on DVD in October of 2004 and my sister, I went home, I was in college, but I went home to watch it in my parents' living room. And my sister, her homecoming date came to pick her up. And that was the first time I met her husband, or the, the boy who would become her husband. Uh, so they didn't get married for like another 10 or 11 years after that. But so yeah, uh, that was, I don't know, <laughs> just like another comfy memory I have with this movie. It was like, did he give you a wedgie? First time I met my, <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was nice. Okay. Speaking of, I think part of the reason that I didn't see this movie, because, you know, my, I was, I was seeing Tim Burton movies, like, as they came out. My parents liked them. Yeah. Like, but I didn't see this one until I was in high school, too. And, I mean, maybe middle school, but I think high school, probably. And why is this movie rated R? Oh. Maybe uh, language? language, I would say language. This is his there's first rated R think... movie. Yeah, there's some fucks yeah. in there. Does he have another rated R? Yeah, what's his like second? Maybe the what's the well, okay, maybe demon bar? Only... Oh yeah, I think that one's R rated. Yeah, okay. I doubt Violence. it. I bet that's PG thirteen. I don't think so. I can't remember. It's I can't remember if it's violent. Or not. I just like this movie is so a movie I would want kids to watch. <laughs> like, yeah. Like it's just really weird to think of it, and even the the you know the fucks come off as very wholesome still. Like it's like, you know, it's not a Scorsese type of fuck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's something. Yeah, there's something that I struggle with, which is I struggle sometimes with the the notoriety of bad movies. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I get frustrated. I think. With things like, like the room, or I don't know, a hundred other other troll two. I mean, there's there's something there's something weird and it's you know, and I I've said on this podcast several times like some things can just be we can can just be lost to the sands of time. Um, but I don't know. Watching this, it's like if it if it begets something like this then it's all kind of worth it you know and i was thinking about this i was thinking about the disaster artist too 
where it's like, yes, the room is terrible. I don't even think it's fun to watch, but it's fun to like hear about how it was yes. made. And this, yeah. yeah, you know, and there's, you know, there's podcasts like, you know, out there that talk about these movies. And there's also filmmakers who, who are very influenced by a lot of this stuff. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It makes me kind of like rethink how I feel about bad movies and, you know, so go ahead. Would you say you're coming around on night beast? <laughs> <laughs> well, JJ Abrams did what he did, did something on that. There you <laughs> yeah, go. So, and then he gave us rise the of music, Skywalker. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, so it worked out he for everybody. Music, yeah. I was watching this video that we've probably all watched before, a YouTube video about Wes Anderson movies. And it started by talking about the um, how he really wanted to use real animal fur for his stop motion animal movies. Even hmm. and the animators were like, well, you can't because it'll sh- move every time and synthetic fur doesn't. Um, as you can see in front of us. Um, and Wes Anderson's like, that is specifically what I want, is he was emulating <laughs> King Kong, where there's that kind oh, of like ripple in his fur that makes him look like there's wind almost constantly blowing through yeah. him. Yeah. And it's like, that's why I want real fur. And the video went on to talk about how interested he is in letting you see the fingerprint of the artist make not yeah. you know not trying to convince you that you're not actually watching a movie which is what most movies are doing which is not a bad thing but you know most plays many things are you know doing are trying to have you suspend your disbelief but movies don't have to do that and i feel like that can be what's enjoyable about a bad movie is that you see you you see the <laughs> the human beings behind it so very clearly like they cannot yeah. disappear from it and i think that's partly why it's inspiring too is because like they're having a good fucking time like yeah. <laughs> no, matter, oh, yeah. no matter what they end up with like even on like when you were talking at the beginning about the kind of like how every he kind of makes the entire world crazy with how crazy he is and i mean it sounds similar when you hear people talk about the disaster artist like the guy who wrote the book and everything like he's ostensibly a normal person but he was completely (laughs) sucked into Mm -hmm. a situation of like taping two cameras together or whatever like all this (laughs) crazy shit um and he certainly seems to reflect on it fondly yeah absolutely and i and i think about like even in the movie you know, there's a scene where um, two the two I don't know they're they're two like crew members who are also actors in Ed Wood's mm-hmm. movies, but they talk mm-hmm. about they're talking about um, like the next they're 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 getting ready to start Plan Nine, and they're talking and they say like one of them says like you know it's going to be even better than Glenn or Glenda. And uh, and the other guy just says something like, "Is that even possible?" And then and then the camera pulls out, and you see somebody. There's, I think, there's like a reaction for somebody else being like, "What the fuck did this person just say?" And it's like, I kind of get that. It makes it really reminds me of being in film school, and mm-hmm. you know, we're just learning how to use a camera and how to like put, mm-hmm. you know, how to match on action and things like that. And you're you're looking, you know, you're all crowded behind the monitor and you're looking at, a, at at the shot you just, and it's just like, there's something, 
there's a there's a uh, and it's 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 like this sort of like pure joy that is yeah. is is divorced from it is divorced from reality because I think the reality in the end is whatever you create, uh, whatever you edit, whatever you put together, like the final product. And I think almost everything that you know we made as film students is borderline unwatchable now. <laughs> but the the feeling of being like in a purely collaborative atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm just thinking now of like, there was a short, I remember we, we had a, uh, an assignment and it was just like, go to a location and shoot a, sh- shoot a short film with no, uh, no editing, no, uh, no dialogue. Um, you're going to do everything in camera. So it's just like you, you start a shot by pushing record and you end a shot by stopping the record. And I remember just like having to stop and like think about everything like before you hit record you had to really <laughs> think about like that's the exercises think about what you're doing um and you know similar to how edward would react to his shots it's just like you'd shoot one and especially halfway through because you don't want to start over and it's just like ah it's perfect you know yeah. and like that, yeah. that feeling is great like it's and and yes and and thinking about like thinking about drawing the audience's um audience's eye and like figuring out like which which you know the best the best shot to to tell this you know fragment of the story or whatever so i don't know just there's there's something here that taps into like the the pure joy of of Mm -hmm. not just art making but like specifically filmmaking i think yeah i and i think i think that's part of why you know i am I think more on the side of enjoying bad movies most most of the time. I mean, Mike and I might not like exactly the same kind of bad movie, but I think we both like to watch bad movies almost constantly. And let me, uh, yeah, let me say <laughs> let me say one thing to that point. This is actually yeah. this is actually because uh, I think there's <laughs> there's a difference here. <laughs> I think there's a difference between the underpaid intern, you know working on a Netflix uh, Hallmark movie and uh, all of the, a, bun- a group of friends making Night Beast in, you know, the sure. New Hampshire wilderness. Sure, it's not as inspiring. The, the Hallmark movies are not as inspiring, let's say. I don't think. But I do think, I, I feel, I guess my point is, like, I don't feel most of the time like Andrew that... <sighs> You know, if the movie's bad, that's kind of all that matters <laughs> in a way. Oh, or it's, yeah. I, I like, I mean, I think about, I've probably said this before, but like when I make things, like, you know, this is why, you know, one of probably the principal reasons I will never become a great artist is because I don't care what anyone but me thinks of shit that I... <laughs> that I make like I make this podcast because I enjoy listening to it I you know we know I know (laughs) I work I work on the song you know when we work on an album or songs it's like it's you know I care a lot about the final product but like I don't need to have anyone ever listen to it in order to feel like it was worth my time like it's just fun to write and record and make really really stupid shit that entertains me and I feel like in that respect I relate that's how I probably relate to Edward I don't know if I'm as gleefully delusional <laughs> as he is but maybe um but just like 
that he's he's fun and he loves the shit he does like that's i think that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think that's great. And I think it's great that this movie celebrates that instead of making fun of it and never has a moment where that's punctured. Like it. Yeah, it really never. There's never a moment where he questions his own genius. And I think that's fucking awesome. Like we should all you know, be like that. You know what, though? There is briefly at the beginning and it, it's it, I, don't, I wouldn't say it punctures what you're talking about, but there is uh he's he goes from saying something very confident to somebody and then it cuts to him and uh sarah jessica parker in bed Mm -hmm. at night or i guess early morning uh and he's like he's like "Ah, do you think it's all worth it like do you think i'm i'm ever gonna make it or he says something like that yeah Mm -hmm. um he's not he's not unimpacted by no negative criticism which is good it's good we need that i think um yeah but but it's like it just doesn't this character obviously the re- the reality of the story is murkier but or I mean uh, darker but uh, this character just does not stop like he just yeah it's like he doesn't even if he I think the reason that he is not completely blind he, he doesn't even like he doesn't we also don't get scenes of him necessarily well sort of but it's. It's not as if people are constantly telling to his face how much he sucks and he's like, no, I'm great. Blah. Yes, like that's not right. it either. It's just like he also he believes he can do better next time, also. Like he's like, I'm so still on an upward trajectory. That is one of my favorite parts in the movie. He's on the phone with the guy at Warner Brothers. <laughs> yeah. he's oh, like, love it. The, the worst movie you've ever seen, huh? Well, my next one will be even better. <laughs> that's so good. So good. Yeah, I love I love that line. That's Uh, I mean, I want that. It reminded me of I was thinking about how a third a um, third movie that would fit in this triple if it was in like if it was just kind of about failed artists would be uh, Florence Foster Jenkins. And she the real person famously said, um, people can say I couldn't sing, but they can't say I didn't sing. Yeah. And like that is like Lee and I both like nearly cried when we heard that. <laughs> like, like that, and then yeah, the Edward one are just like that. That shit is so fucking inspiring. Yeah. Well, and the, the the like the confidence to make a decision in front of a group of people is yeah, is such a hard thing to come by. Um, and I think a lot of, I mean that this is I think the thing that gives him the ability to make movies is to which most people can't do good or bad um but like there's a great scene where he's they're like as you know i think it was bunny is asking like for like you know like character traits like physical traits for he wants he's gonna play an alien or something like that and he's like well i'm gonna need antenna (laughs) i'm gonna need a you know green skin whatever i'm gonna need bug eyes Mm -hmm. or something and and he's just and and edward's just like no no you don't need any of that this is a classic (laughs) picture and then, yeah. and then when they, and then the reveal that he's he's playing an alien and he's sitting at like a desk in an office and he's just a dude, and <laughs> Edward just smiles and goes, "Now nah, that's an alien." That's <laughs> so good. That's, and it's, yeah. I think and, you make an interesting point. Go ahead. No, it just it just speaks to to you know sometimes you just have to make a decision, and I think he knows that's, what he wants. <laughs> yes, and I think that I think that's a a, a huge part of filmmaking and specifically directing is 
Especially, I mean, you know, I'm thinking at like even the, like mm-hmm. the the higher end of filmmaking when, you know, you're you're essentially just making decisions all day. And I bet you 50% of the time you're getting presented with, you know, nine different options that are all made by the people who are best in their industry or whatever. Yes. They all look great. They all serve your purpose. And I bet you at some point people are just flipping coins in their heads um, mm-hmm. to some degree. And so to, mm-hmm. to I think like just seeing that play out in this in this place um I think that is really inspiring. Yeah. Two two things to what you said. One, that situation with the aliens is based on truth where <sighs> the guy who did the makeup for the aliens had all these plans for how to make them look <laughs> like aliens and Edward would not let him do any of them. <laughs> Um, and he was really mad, like even into like the till he died. Basically, he was mad about that. <laughs> um, and I also think, to your point, that Ed Wood, as depicted in this movie, is not a bad director. He can't make a good movie, but he's a good director in that. That's true. He works very quickly. <laughs> he gets what he's going for. People like working with him. Like he can. Mm. He's able to, you know, get these productions together, secure fun. Like he's, you know, a kind of a one man operation in a certain way. I dis. I di- here's here's what I I, I want to. <laughs> I disagree. I think he's. I think he's a horrible director. I think he's a <laughs> good. I think he's good at making movies. Sure. That's almost the opposite of what I said. Uh, well, yeah. He's well, because I'm making th- a movie. Yeah, okay. Because I'm. Th- here's what I'm sure. thinking. Here's what I'm thinking. Because there's scenes like in the movie where. Uh, you know, he's actually thinking in his head about Bella's character. Uh, like he has mm-hmm. a scene in his head with Bella and uh, it's the it's the the one shot of him that ends up in plan nine. Um, mm-hmm. And Bella walks out and just basically rewrites <coughs> the whole scene. Yeah. And then tells him how it's going to go. I mean, I'm just like thinking about things like that. And then there's just like, um I don't know. I think I think thinking every shot is perfect is probably not a very um, <laughs> a good way of looking at like your own work. But uh, but I do think it is a good way to get a movie made to get it finished. And I think yeah yeah. And there's a certain sense in which Ed Wood is a better director than Terry Gilliam. <laughs> I think I think there, in some sense, I think he's better at making movies. Um, <laughs> I think Ed Wood might be one of the best, uh, the best at making movies uh, in the saw. history. Seriously, I yeah. mean, I mean, if you think about like, I've seen a lot of Ed Wood movies, and if you think like that, he got financing together for like I think like I don't know, like more than a dozen movies. Um, and I guess it depends on how you count the pornos and stuff, but like, it is pretty, yeah, like like. Even if you can say like, oh, Plan 9 from Outer Space is so incompetent, it's so goofy and stuff like mm-hmm. like the, the, the commitment and then, yeah, just the fact of getting this thing done and, and filmed and put together and out there, uh, there's something to that, like some actual some something real to respect i guess about that not, not like you know not in an ironic sense and there's there's legacy to it too, like he you know people might make fun of him, but at the same time. You know, Plan Nine from Outer Space, at the very least, exists on the in the margins of you know what we would consider like the 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 pantheon of 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 mm-hmm. uh, like you know old forties and fifties horror movies. Like it's yeah. people people uh, 
I think people who are familiar with that era of, you know, monster filmmaking, they know that Plan 9 from Outer Space exists. I mean, I've seen maybe yeah. half of it, and it is, I think it is borderline unwatchable. Um, but I certainly know about it. I also yeah, think he's I a real wish... innovator of putting like aliens and graveyards and Draculas and stuff all in the same thing, <laughs> yes. which I really appreciate. So he maybe yeah. that's where they got the idea for the dark universe. Yeah. 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 He was doing it before anybody else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there was something I was going to say about. Hmm. Oh, I, I do kind of wish that I had had the opportunity to see like an Edward film or or Plan Nine like before he was declared like the worst director of all time, and that okay. was the worst movie of all time. Um, because I went into Plan Nine with that, like, I don't know that context or that expectation, and so I was able to enjoy it just from the get go. But I I can't I almost can't picture just turning on the TV like some afternoon in the late seventies. And then like this old movie for, I can't remember if that movie's from the early sixties or the late fifties, but 59. just turning that on. What's that? 59. Okay. Thank you. Um, like just your channel surfing on, you know, we are three channels or whatever. Uh, and then you see that like, cause it is, it's like, if you're expecting it to be something like, uh, like it came from outer space or the thing, or, you know, um, mm-hmm that kind of stuff, then it really is bad. And I guess like would I have gotten, would I have, yeah, would I have enjoyed it or would I have just like, ah, that movie is terrible and I wouldn't have thought about it, but I don't know. But yeah, somehow it did stick with people more than so many other very crappy movies. Um, So, but yeah, I mean, at this point he's got 40 years of worst director of all time credit. So you can't really avoid going into that movie with that uh, knowledge hanging over you. But I think I just feel... Like there's part there is part of me that feels bad for him. And I kind of wonder, like, is that is that why Tim Burton made the movie this way? Um, Like he wanted to make a movie about the worst director of all time, but he didn't want to make a movie. Making fun of the worst director of all time. Yeah. Oh, he definitely does not seem like he wanted to. I think actually that's one of the things in the Wikipedia I think that Tim Burton said, I can't remember who the quote was to, but basically that he was not interested in making fun of people who had already been made fun of so much. Um, And it wasn't necessarily that he wanted to glorify it either. I don't think, but just that, um, yeah, definitely the film isn't coming from a place of like, you know, I mean, when you're laughing to me, at least when you're laughing at the film, you're laughing at just how kind of absurd things are. And you're laughing at his like attitude, but you're not laughing at like, like this dumbass, this guy is such a, you know, loser, like kind of thing. At least I don't read anything in the movie that way. Mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, that's basically that's its charm, too, is that yeah. as a loser, you don't watch this movie and feel like somebody's making fun of you. You watch it and you're just kind of like, it's like, yeah, losers are all right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, um, I should say this is number 31 on the American Friend Institute list. Indeed. Oh, and um, Wood is. I thought you said plan. I thought you were thinking Plan Nine from no. Outer Space. Oh, plan that would have scared me. Yeah, I knew it was on our list because pretty much all of Tim Burton's movies yeah. before or uh, after be- uh, Sleepy Hollow and before are on on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, since we're here though, since we're talking about this, uh, let's. I'd like to chat about the. Oh no, sorry, I had to shift. Hit my microphone. Um, the Orson Welles scene, which I think mm-hmm. is the climax of the film. 
And uh, oh, I did not I even realize that was Vincent D'Onofrio. That's how good I thought he was. I really, <laughs> yeah, I felt pretty stupid after the fact, but uh, yeah, he, did you recognize the voice? Uh, it, the, the so they dubbed over D'Onofrio's is it pinky? voice. It well, it's the brain, yeah, or the brain. Oh, yeah, the brain. that's his, why his name is okay. Uh, I have a I have it in my notes, Maurice Lamarche. Uh, so. With me, it was clicking as he also did the voice of Egon in the real Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there's something about this voice that I know. Because I was like, that's not Vincent uh, D'Onofrio. I don't know how you say it. D'Onofrio. But anyways, that that scene, um, I don't know. I think whatever seriousness there is about this movie, like whatever point Tim Burton might have had, uh, or I guess the screenwriters, like is that scene of just like you have the greatest director of all time and the worst director of all time. Mm-hmm. They meet in a bar and then like, this is sort <laughs> it's of, a joke. you know, it's funny. It's yeah, it is. But then what he says to him is beautiful and it's, it's inspiring. Like, you know, the don't spend your life making someone else's dreams or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, but yeah, I love that scene. And you were talking about earlier, how good like Bella Lugosi's house looks like in the black and white mm-hmm. uh, film. It's like that bar scene, the way they filmed that scene is like, yeah, so pretty it's it's really really cool but anyhow i didn't know if you guys had because i know kit you're a huge orson welles fan so i didn't know yeah and a huge vincent d'onofrio fan yeah (laughs) they should make a movie together someday he's actually played orson welles in at least one other short film i thought he had wasn't wasn't it that showtime movie um oh it's like rko or whatever rko yeah no that's that's even what i'm thinking of that's leaf schreiber leaf schreiber plays them oh whoa, whoa okay okay that's a good movie, or a pretty good movie. TV TV movie about um, making Citizen Kane. Okay, but I also think I okay. I don't know enough about Orson Welles' biography to know if this is true. To know if I I think he was very pretentious in some ways and then not pretentious at all in others. Um, but you watch what was the documentary about him making his last movie that came out recently? It's like this is not a far cry <laughs> from, from from Edward. Like. I actually do think there that's it, it's funny, it's ironic. It's also very true to me though that they're the same kind of they are the they have a lot in common those yeah. two guys. Absolutely. I actually have not I still have not watched that documentary and I still haven't watched oh, it's the really other side interesting. of the wind. I'm interested. I just yeah, I haven't uh gotten to it. I do uh, yeah, yeah, I me neither. I think it's just be, it's What? Yeah, I haven't watched it. Every, well, because everyone talks about it, it's it's an experiment. Like it doesn't feel like a complete movie. I don't think is what people say. Well, but you, the doc, you can watch the doc though. No, I want to watch both. I just okay. you know, it just feels like I I gotta like be yeah. ready to do some homework kind of thing. <laughs> in a in yeah, a good way. It was it was really interesting. But yeah, he's like insane for sure. But <laughs> but also you see like I don't know. It's weird. It's like when I was watching. It's interesting how how commodified film is as an art form in this country when it's not as much in other places. Obviously, Hollywood, there, nothing competes with Hollywood, really. That, you know, I was thinking about that, the, the shot of Bella coming out of his house and, like, sniffing a rose and dropping it. And I was like, if that was just... A, a a short a short that someone made and you know sold to the art institute like in the art institute it was like on in a gallery it's like 
that's such that singular shot could be like a hugely celebrated work of art. Yeah. But be <laughs> you know, there's just the allowance to do just kind of weird artistic things with movies is easier to do almost anywhere than Hollywood. <laughs> like, you know, I like, I don't know. I just was thinking about it. Like Orson Welles, like in, in any other, in any, like in a non-studio context, the idea of just like, I'm going to spend decades making the same fucking movie. Like that is a perfectly acceptable artistic choice that artists you know people people outside of hollywood who are artists do all the time <laughs> like it's sure. not an uncommon thing to just be working on a work of art for decades and decades for your entire life well i mean a lot but, of a lot of artists like photographers uh, specifically well any artist but they'll pick mm -hmm. like a a subject that might be yep. something completely mundane or boring or stupid or whatever and then um and just exploit that for, I mean, people do entire shows about the exact same thing um, mm -hmm. and trying to explore the different angles of it. And even, even, even not, I mean, I, I, we're, you and I were talking when you were here a couple of weeks ago and I was talking about yeah. this photographer that I really like. And his whole thing is that he just like carries a, a little like coffee cup, like a little espresso cup with him whenever he travels and he just sets it places and takes pictures of it. Um, and it's like the most successful thing he's ever done. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think that's fine. I mean, these are people <laughs> these are people who are trying to like have a career and uh, and make money at a thing. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think it's you know I don't I, yeah I, I agree with you. I don't think there's anything um, anything like uh, to look down upon uh, with that pursuit. Well, yeah, and it's like it is what it is. And like, you know, I've criticized Ridley Scott, for instance, and Terry Gilliam earlier for like, you know, are you a filmmaker if you can't <laughs> get a movie into the theater, like in the manner you want it, you know, mm -hmm. like and in and in in Hollywood terms, that is a failure. But in just like making shit because you're an artist and you fucking feel like it, you know, if money is taken out of the equation, like that's absolutely fine. You know, unfortunately, Terry Gilliam and Ridley Scott require a lot of money <laughs> in order to make yeah. the shit that they want a I lot more than Ed than Ed Wood did. So, <laughs> yeah, one, yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. That made me think about like supposedly Vincent Gallo has two movies that are filmed and made. They're they're done, but he just doesn't want to release them because he's not happy with how Brown Bunny was received. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't even so they're just there. Do you and do you and do you believe this man? I do. Okay. I kind of do. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I think at least one of them has been screened, but I don't know. I can't remember the details. I'd have to look into it. But like. I think it's called promises written in water or something like that. And it has been some people have seen it. Um, and it's not like like a, actually in another example is like. um Crispin Glover, he directed a trilogy of films that are about a man's, I think he has multiple sclerosis or something, and his body is just slowly failing him. And like it's that he uses a guy who actually is like wheelchair bound and like can't move. I, I haven't seen them. Mm -hmm. I actually I kick myself because it came to Kansas City several years ago and I missed my chance to go see it. Um, 
I forgot exactly why I was making this point. I guess because you were talking about just like because film is so commercial because it's such a commodity that like I I know that there are people out there who make experimental films. I'm almost never interested in them in any shape or form. But like there is something very like I, I like if somebody wrote a short story for themselves and never released it, I wouldn't be like, that's interesting. But like with the way that film is, it's like there's a I have a lot of expectations of like like this is how it must be and stuff. So I guess when people mix mm-hmm. that up, it's uh interesting to me. But but yeah. This this has that out this there. has me thinking of a um a <laughs> it's actually has me thinking about Moby, actually. Um I never think about <laughs> Moby, but I'm thinking about Moby right now. There's a documentary that <laughs> I, I have watched a few times and it it came out in like 2008 or nine. It's on Vimeo. It's called um, Press Play Pause. And it's just about like the digital revolution, like just like basically when the um, right after like the Canon 5D came out and all of a sudden, you know, students could make films that actually look good um, with for cheap, you know, without having to buy film stock and all that. Um but there's a he make he talks about like Moby gets interviewed in it and he's talking about just and he he also does a thing that I with which is worth mentioning is that he um he has a whole like library of music that he gives to students for free to use however they want which I think is really cool like I've used mm. a bunch of like free weird Moby music in short films cool. and stuff just because I could go on and I could fill out a little questionnaire swear I wasn't gonna make money off this and then. I would be able to download content immediately and use it. Um, But he said, he said like when people make things, it tends to be interesting. And I think that's true, but I would take it a step further and say that it tends to be interesting. If like you can, like when you can actually see kind of the process, like I think even like seeing even though this is not like a true to life telling completely, I think it's interesting seeing things like him saying, you know, like the realization, there's a line in the movie that he's, what does he say? That's so funny to me. He says, uh, you know, hun, when you when you rewrite a script, it just gets better and better. (laughs) And it's just like, and I think that's interesting. I think it's genuinely interesting seeing somebody, steeped in the process of filmmaking and realizing the like number one most fundamental rule (laughs) you know um so yeah i think i think people making things when a human being makes something it tends to be interesting um And that's and that's I will I just to to circle back that is how hallmark and night beast hallmark movies and night beast are the same because I just think it's I think with Hallmark, it's in a more, um, you know, I'll be sitting there watching something and I'll hear a turn of phrase and I'll be like, now, what the fuck were they thinking? About that? <laughs> like, like, what was the person sitting down clacking away on their keyboard? What were they trying to do there? Like, and that's, you know, if you watch a really good movie, you often don't get moments like, like that. Where you're really considering, like, what is the choice happening here? You, you know, when I think when I when I think about lines like that, it makes me think of uh, when I was in college and I wrote that that like Batman that like crazy 
like I was Mike, I was writing a, I was living with Kit. We were watching um, basically like nine hours of Buffy the Vampire Slayer every day. <laughs> so need, uh-huh. needless to say, college was not going well. Um, <laughs> and I was in this, I was in this creative. It was going great for me. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> we were watching this like. uh, I was doing this, I was in this creative writing class, you know, like creative writing 101 or something like that, community college. Uh And I remember my, I was doing well. My teacher like really liked me and (laughs) I had like a really good grade. And then um, it was like the last assignment and she handed out the, uh, the like, you know, the project, the brief, project brief or whatever. And she like leaned in and whispered and said, I'm most excited to read your paper. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, thank you, no problem." And so instead of going home and putting a lot of time into it, and I had weeks, of course, and uh, but the whole thing, the whole concept was like taking different literary characters and combining them somehow. Um, mm-hmm. So it was just kind of like go wild, have fun with your favorite, your favorite, with all your favorite characters. And I remember uh, instead of doing that, I went home and watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And then the <laughs> night before. And I'm talking like two, like I had, it was like an 8 a.m. class. And I started writing at like midnight, one o'clock, something like that. Uh-huh. And I was just like, all right, what do we got? And so, <laughs> and so like, I don't remember, I remember being so tired, so delirious. So this is like, this is what a normal, what happens to a normal person when they try to live kit hours, when they try to, <laughs> when they try to exist on the amount of sleep that she somehow survives on. Yeah. It's not good, bro. <laughs> Uh, so I essentially, I wrote I wrote a story about um, uh, Peter Pan, uh, basically, com- like f- he, discovering a plot that Captain Hook was running to uh, smuggle heroin into Neverland, and Tom Sawyer and Batman are both present. I do not remember writing a s- single word of this thing, but I remember like. <laughs> reading it like right before turning it in and just being like oh my god what have i done (laughs) and i remember (laughs) i never i never she said we could come and get our graded papers you know the next week or whatever i never went back for it i avoided that teacher forever and my grade went from an a plus like 100 percent to a b (laughs) minus Um, but I think about so like, she didn't like it. But to circ- but yeah, well, no, it was horrible. It was like <laughs> it was like a fever dream. It was like in it felt like reading the 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 you know the 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 ramblings of a a brain damaged child or something like that. I mean, it was like truly horrible, horrible, um, and a lesson learned too. But um, but yeah, to circle back, like that's I whenever I whenever I hear like a weird line in uh in a in a bad movie or something like i think about um this scene in in the story that i do remember which is that i didn't know what to do with batman which i once i'd introduced him and so uh it's something like they're walking along and there's a rustling in the trees and peter looks back and batman's disappeared um so i just think about i think about just like horrible logic horrible horrible writing I used to have the story, so I was searching for like if I could find it. No, I don't I have think a, I have it anymore. I ha- no, yeah, and you, Kit just posted a picture of me blowing up. It looks like I'm sucking on Batman's nipples. Yeah, um, but it's a uh, an inflatable <laughs> Batman. Um, yeah, that's that's looks like about the age I was. Um, 
I like your hair. Thank you, dude. Thank you. Yeah, I was a very good looking kid. You're all right. You got nice cheekbones. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, they're all gone now. Mm. I had them ground down. Hey, you look good. I had them shaved down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Smoothed out. Gave them to Angelina Jolie. Mm-hmm. Speaking of cheekbones, real quick. Uh, <laughs> my favorite shot in the entire movie, Ed Wood, the movie we're supposed to be talking about. Um, uh-huh. My favorite shot in the entire movie is when he's at the at dinner and the chiropractor shows up and mm-hmm. you get the pov of him looking at the chiropractor yeah mm-hmm. and just the 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 you know the movie's obviously very well shot but they 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 like raise the bar like 110% just for that one still <laughs> shot of the chiropractor and yeah. it's like the most beautiful shadow and drop off i've ever mm-hmm. seen <laughs> Uh, and it's just that's just how ed wood sees the world that's but that's what they're conveying you know it's yeah. like mm-hmm. no, well no wonder he says that was perfect <laughs> after the first take it's because this is how he is seeing it so it's kind of yeah. like, it's kind of like a reveal a little bit um but yeah that's a great that's a really great i love i love the shot when he first goes to bella's house and he's like looking down the entry into like his study wherever he's laying on the ground and there's some kind of like filmy curtain hanging in between and like the dogs are like all yapping it and it's just like god damn this it's just like it's so it's so i mean it's like another level i guess on which this movie is inspiring in that it's it's content is so kind of like unassuming and playful and weird and good but then it's just like shot by a fucking master like somebody who really knows what they're doing or used to yeah. uh <laughs> who did dp this uh that would be stefan zapsky who also did one of your favorite films Which... vampire's kiss Oh, nice. Really? That's cool. And Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns. He also did Matilda. I was kind of surprised by that. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, I think we may have actually talked about him during the Vampire's Kiss episode. Mm-hmm. But uh, but for whatever reason, it didn't register with me that he did Matilda. I thought that was kind of cool. Which, Matilda is such an underrated movie. That yeah. movie is so freaking good. It's really good. Um, yeah. It's like really, yeah, I just, really, I like really good. Mer- yeah, do people talk about that? Like, yeah, um... no, I mean, okay. Well, it it doesn't come up a lot, but like I feel like I watched it a couple of years ago for the first time since I was you know a kid or something like that. I used to watch it all the time when I was a kid. Yeah, same here. But I rewatched it and I was just there was like a couple of things that I didn't like. Like I didn't like um, some of the action. I didn't like the way it was shot. Like it was like all in like kind of disjointed insert. Like uh, this is me looking for problems um but other than that it like it's like it was like seeing it for the first time as a child like that's how good it felt to me um yeah and then i remember some friends of ours like i was like talking about it and they went and watched it and it was like the next you know the the next week or whatever it's just like oh my god this movie is so good why don't it really is yeah it's it's one of those like I don't know. I still feel like the 90s have not had their reevaluation yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I feel like that's one of those little nuggets of gold that will be kind of th- uh, shaken out. I think the 90s, there were some really, really, really good movies about being a kid. Yeah. And what it feels like to be a kid. 
Because, like, even, well, like, Harriet the Spy, like, that's not as good of a movie as Matilda, but I remember right. watching that and being like, this is what being a kid is like, and other yeah. movies don't get it. Like, Yeah. I also think, like, The Sandlot. I think I probably talked about that with mm-hmm. you guys before, but that is a movie that, like, I watched it again as an adult fairly recently, and it's like, this is a perfect movie. It's, like, extremely well made. It's, like, I don't know. The cast is incredible. Um yeah, I don't know. Maybe they still make movies like that for kids, but it seems like everything now is like a 3D CGI kind of thing. But uh, they don't make. Um, yeah, they don't really make uh, too many kids movies anymore. They don't really yeah. make. Uh, I was saying in our ch- in our chat the other day, they don't make rom-coms anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they make coming or up- comedies. Yeah, where are com- well, comedies are out there, I feel like. Are they all? Yeah, are, they mean, all ne- I mean, are they all? Are they all? Those used to be like the big movies. Like it used to be like right. a comedy could be like the movie of the the biggest movie of the year yeah they don't they don't uh they still make all of these movies like there's live action kids movies there are rom-coms but it's like in terms of like that's i don't true. even know like if any of these crack like the top 25 of the year anymore but like, i don't th- i don't even think i feel like the 90s are almost an anomaly as a time when so many live action movies were made for kids yeah well i think what happened is we got lucky because like like the boomers all started having kids in like Mm -hmm. the 80s. So there was this huge wave of kid culture. So we got stuff like Nickelodeon. We got a bunch of really good movies. We had a lot of cool cartoons. And like it was, I don't know, people say like the 80s was like this great time to be a kid. And I believe them. (laughs) There was a great, a bunch of great kid culture from the 80s. But yeah, it seems like there was just kind of this drop off when everybody stopped procreating. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's no more profitable kid culture or anything Mm -hmm. like that. Um, But uh, yeah, the 90s. I mean, yeah, like Home Alone. Uh, I don't know. I think like 80s was maybe more of a teen culture, yeah. even though there was cool stuff for kids like cartoons. Well, and stuff, maybe like, maybe the uh, remake of Home Alone will usher in a new wave of kids. There's a remake hope. of Home Alone happening? Let's make the 2020s the 90s. Oh, it already happened. It's Oh, it's already what? out? Oh, it's, it's, it's made. There's a trailer. You can watch it. it. I don't want to. I'm good. Only if you want to hurt. Only if you want to hurt. <laughs> Uh, well, here, let's go through. Let's get some little stragglers. Okay. I feel okay. like kids about to fall asleep over here. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, uh, Mike Starr is one of my favorite, like, kind of yes. uh, character actors. He plays George Weiss. Uh, he's excellent in this. Um, uh, one of my favorite lines is when they're watching uh, Vampira. Ed and Bella are watching Vampire on TV, and Bella starts doing his, like, you know, Dracula, like, come here kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh he's like ed's like how do you do that he's like you must be double jointed you must be hungarian it's <laughs> uh, uh, a good one it's a good line um i guess that's actually all my notes that's everything i got written down i wrote some notes about the edward movies that i've seen um i think night of the ghouls is actually it's very weird but it's watchable uh plan nine is essential as we've discussed in its own way but uh I think Night of the Ghouls is the closest thing he gets to like making an actually mm-hmm. a movie, like a like a movie that you wouldn't think this must come from a deranged person. So, what do you think my favorite Ed Wood movie is? I've only seen two, but mm, what two have you seen? <laughs> well, it's neither of the ones you mentioned. Uh, Glenn or Glenda? Yes. <laughs> okay, Glenn or Glenda is it's a really interesting movie, but it is also yes. just like. It's I mean, that's there's a lot of stock footage crammed in there and uh, it's pretty, <laughs> pretty rough. 
Uh, yeah. I've got one. I think uh, it's the it's the last line of the movie, and again in in the same way that like that first scene kind of sums up the movie. I feel like so does this one, and it's something like you know he's talking to Patricia Arquette, and he said, "Let's get married. Let's go to." Let's go to Vegas. And she says, like, oh, but it's it's the weather's so horrible. Look how hard it's raining or something. And he's like, it'll probably stop by the time we reach the desert. Heck, it'll probably stop by the time we get around the corner. And the camera raises up and you see, like, the rest of Hollywood. And it's just 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 torrential downpour for miles. <laughs> and yeah. so I beautiful. thought that was just chef's kiss. Just beautiful. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful ending. It is yeah. a really, really good ending. Actually, that's something we didn't talk about. Patricia Arquette, I love her in this movie. She's really, Heck really yeah. good. yeah. Talk about an upgrade. Yeah. SJP can take a hike. I it's feel, true. I think the, I would say that the one thing that I don't really like about this movie is the SJP character because she, by all accounts, <laughs> I don't know. I think she gets, I think that that he, real person on which she's based gets the rawest deal that's of anyone. Yeah. Like, you know, Ed Wood is like he gets to have his to be portrayed as kind of a much pure person, which I love. I'm glad the movie does that. And then she's made worse for some, for some reason. Well, she goes. Um, they give she, her the they give her the little button at the end. She gets to go on and have a successful career writing songs for Elvis. Yeah, but yeah. she actually that's that's because she actually did that. What she didn't do was leave him because he was a cross dresser. She left him because he was a <laughs> inveterate alcoholic <laughs> um and i don't think she spent 24 hours a day screaming at him about his movies being bad and embarrassing her or whatever so like yeah, yeah i don't no, love I that think, it really makes patricia arquette look look great <laughs> right i think that's the the that character so this movie as we've established is not realistic really in any way right. or in, in very many ways um I think Dolores, it is, it is unfortunate because she actually is a very interesting person who did a lot of cool stuff. Uh, but yeah, that character serves to make Patricia Arquette feel like the triumph mm-hmm. for the character that you want. And then also, like, she sort of stands in for reality in a lot of situations where she's coming down on him yeah. in the way that, like, the real world would have been. You know, like, oh, what about the money? What about this? Why are you so weird? Mm-hmm. Why are all these, you, you know, you surround yourself with a bunch of freaks. Yeah. I actually, I love that part, too. When they're at the warehouse uh, celebrating, like it's like the rap party for I think Bride yes. of the Monster. Um, she's like, "You people are all freaks. These movies are terrible." <laughs> she's <around> <laughs> uh, um, so I think Sarah Jessica Parker is good in the movie, uh, but I do that character is, uh, um, yeah, it's more of it, it's not who Dolores was, I guess. Um, but as I said, if you want the true story, pick up. The Rudolph Gray uh, Nightmare of Ecstasy book. Okay. My final plug. I might check it out. I'm getting kickbacks. So it really is a good book. It's very readable. A lot of fun. Um, but anyhow, any more little stragglers? No. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Go ahead. I just wanted to say, I think this is a very unusual role for Johnny. I think it stands out in his oh, yeah. oeuvre. The voice, the voice he's doing is really different. It's just... I think we've now come to understand Johnny Depp as kind of a cliche in what he's doing in roles, even though he actually even still is doing very different things in all of his roles, I think. Um, But that his choices in this movie are just perfect. Like, they're very broad. 
Mm-hmm. And Tim Burton talks about how Johnny Depp was like super depressed about breaking up with Winona Ryder while he was making this movie and that he mm. would come to set with tears in his eyes sometimes oh some mornings so like sad. that was that that was the report anyway and then he's playing this just like pathologically optimistic <laughs> kind of happy guy and it's, it's like good i think he's, he's awesome it's very uh, yeah. yeah it's very yeah he's very good i was just thinking like he is the only times that I, i'm like man that i think that he's like not good and it's not even that he's not good but it's just like um it's movies where he's playing like a regular dude you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's not that's no that's no fun. I think um yeah, yeah, I think Johnny Depp playing this type of character is 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 what we need. I was thinking too while watching this and I was like, "You know what? Maybe not his his, you know, real life character, but it's like this guy could he still I feel like it's yep. in there still. Let's get Yeah. Let's get moving, oh, yeah. baby. And I thought yeah. the same thing and about Tim Burton too. I was like, this has this has got yes. to still be kicking around inside. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree, man. I want to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, <sighs> That's something we need to get into on another episode someday. It's like what happened. We need to figure out what happened to Tim Burton. <laughs> okay, maybe that should be a triple of a, its a own. I'm just like, what own. happened yeah. to Tim Burton? Seemingly, yeah. it happened overnight too. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, after Sleepy Hollow, yeah, it's like Planet of the uh, Apes. Planet of the Apes. Is it plan- going forward from there? Did that movie him. break him? Because I don't know. You know I don't I know what happened. Should, I think we should watch that. I think we should watch Sweeney Todd because I feel like that's the latter day movie that is the best regarded in a way. Okay. I know Big Eyes was like, no, I hate Big Fish. I'll never watch that movie again. Big Eyes was Oscar nominated, but I hear it's pretty boring. Um, I didn't like yeah, it. And that's actually the same screenwriters. That's uh, Scott Alexander and Larry Kozinski. Yeah. And then maybe we should watch Alice in Wonderland because it's so notorious. I can't. Um, yeah, I, can't. I don't even know. I can't like, watch it again. I'm curious. That I hated it. It's I saw so it in bad. theaters with Lee. Oh dear. And God. I, I really was like, this is so bad. A miserable fucking experience. Yeah, I can't I yeah. can't watch it. Like I'm, I'm curious about I'm in I'm in Chicago with the man I will go on to marry for the first time as a couple. We're we're like together basically. In the city I love more than any place on earth. Watching Alice in Wonderland, a story I was obsessed with as a child, directed by my favorite ever director, and according to us, the best director of all time. And it was one of the most miserable film going experience. In fact, <laughs> between that and Big Fish, Tim Burton has given me two of my worst ever <laughs> film going experiences. Yeah. I so what I happened? saw Alice in Wonderland on a train going from Seattle to Portland um, next to a lady from Hawaii who was telling me like her whole life story. And the, <laughs> the, the TV was probably less than nine inches. It was a very small, you know. Four by three aspect ratio TV. That's how I saw Alice in Wonderland. Otherwise, I haven't seen it. Um, but, uh, um, I have more stragglers. Wait, I have two things okay. to say. One, okay. less than nine inches is a good name for a biopic. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> not about Mike's me. biopic specifically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not about not about me either. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, the next thing I was gonna say is like instead of the, I thought another good idea would be like the movies that broke the people that make them you know what i mean because like i think (laughs) i was thinking about like you know you've got like there's some like you know coppola he makes apocalypse now and can never quite do it again you know what i mean and then like uh like peter jackson like heavenly creatures he's got the fright we just watched rewatch the frighteners great fucking Mm -hmm. movie 
Makes yeah. Lord of the Rings considered one of the just the greatest cinematic achievements of all time. And then from there on, it's just like the lovely bones, baby. You know, it's just like what? Well, King Kong. I like King Kong. No, I think the, nobody else likes King Kong. I think Lee might I, like King Kong. I, I do not. Okay. I do not. Um, but yeah, it did well. It did well. And it, it was a, it was a it was a success. It did at the time. Well, but I feel like people. I feel like people even then, though, were like, what happened to Peter Jackson? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Even with King Kong, even though it was pop, it made money and it's not bad necessarily, but it's like, so hmm. I heard something sad about King Kong the other day uh, since this now that it's come up. He twice, fell I'll off that building. Yeah. He fell off the building. Twas, beauty that? Twas beauty that killed the beast. <laughs> it yeah. was. Yeah. Um, no. So King Kong is like one of my favorites, too. It's a great movie. But Wait, apparently the original the or the element? which one? Yeah, the original, oh, okay. 1933. Okay. Um, the original elements for that movie are not in any shape to put it into any better condition than currently exists, like on the Blu-ray. Oh, so, like, they can't make, like, a 4K transfer or anything. Um, oh, shit. So that made me sad. Yeah, I thought that was there, awesome. there, are, there are no prints anywhere? Apparently not. I mean, when they make, when they do a 4K transfer, they want to do it from, like, the original camera negative. So, they can't, like, you can't, they could... You can't do it from a 35 millimeter print? Oh, you can, but, it's not but like good. in terms of getting like the image you're used to seeing in like a 4K. Interesting. Um, then, yeah, they usually go from it as close to the original camera negative as they can. So sometimes it's like the what do they call it? Like the, the first. Uh, I don't know that much about it, but it's like the first generation after original camera negative is like interpositive or something. Huh. Mm. And so sometimes if they don't have the original camera negative to scan, they'll do the interpositive and then. You know, like a lot of other movies, they'll wind up finding a 35 millimeter print and scanning that. But it's like in terms of like what studios own, like th- that's more for like more obscure movies that get like a film print gets scanned for a Blu-ray. Um, but in terms of like, I mean, something like King Kong is like that's like film history. Um, yeah, that's sad. so. Yeah, that's really. But I sad. guess, yeah, at this point, it's deteriorated enough where they can't really mm-hmm. uh, get it in 4K. So that was a bummer. But I still got my DVD. So I think you I think I think you're doing the Lord's work by you know getting out there buying as many blu-rays as you possibly can yeah so. yeah yeah uh, the library of alexandria <laughs> honestly yeah i agree with mm-hmm. that <laughs> um my this movie has i think my favorite save the cat moment in film history which this may be controversial but for me when he goes to mike Starr's office and he's trying to get the movie <laughs> and he reveals to him that he cross-dresses that's that's the best <laughs> way anyone has ever gotten me to like a character mm, yeah. <laughs> in, in in a movie. It's so like heartwarming and adorable and funny. It's it's fucking great. Yeah. Um. This also so we were talking about that party. Um. At at the rap party, and did you guys notice? You know when he's what Johnny Depp is what ed is dancing to was like organ music yeah um so the guy playing the organ is corla pandit who he's essentially playing himself because he really did have a show on in los angeles a television show in los angeles where he played the hammond organ he was not actually an indian guy he was an african-american um Hmm. And the 50s and 60s were a very strange time where multiple guys who played the organ had television shows <laughs> where they just played the organ on them. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah. I mean, that's another thing we didn't talk about was Vampira. Um, 
mm-hmm. the she you know she was like a i guess a hollywood los angeles character uh who kind of had an unfortunate career trajectory um yeah but uh, i feel like we had yeah. yeah we had lots of these people who could become famous for a thing um mm-hmm. and now those people are gone and we have tiktok stars yeah i don't yeah i i think about that a lot i know i'm out of touch but like where is the culture being made now um I don't, we've had so many arguments about you know you saying like everything sucks now and me saying no you're just an old fogey and who won who won out well i'm trying i'm trying to resist <laughs> saying that it, that you've won but it, it's yeah. just like the older i get the harder it is to have that <laughs> argument with you <laughs> Um, I love at that same party the fact what, another of my favorite chef's kiss details in this movie is that when he's dancing in drag at the party, he also has his false teeth out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like that's part of it. That's hilarious. Um, I I love how Tim Burton found a way to get a fucking haunted ha- carnival haunted house <laughs> into this movie apropos I of love. nothing. Yes, and like, I love that spook house. And no no spook house has ever looked that fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool. Um, and then my last note, finally, I think appropriately, my last note, Vampira's funeral hat. Yes, I noticed that too. <laughs> That's uh, it. I'm going to make yeah. myself one of those. <laughs> <laughs> wear that. If I die uh, anytime soon, wear that to yes, my funeral. Yes, I, I promise. <laughs> I do, I do uh, love, I do love, uh, my, I have one more little straggler. I do love that, uh, the brief scene where the trick or treater comes to Bo Lugosi's house mm. and he performs yes. as Dracula and the kid is just like a total dick to him. And then Johnny Depp takes out his <laughs> fake teeth and it's just like, yep, reality is much scarier than the movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. he's just like, what See, does he say? Just like, I lost my chompers in the war or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. I lost my pearlies in the, I think yeah. it's like that. Um, we yeah we really kind of skipped over the cast I suppose because we've now we I don't think we even mentioned Bella or Martin, Martin Landau. Landau yeah he yeah he got, and won his daughter an, he won an Oscar and his right daughter. yes yes he did yeah, yeah. He, he's uh, very good I had so it he's somewhere over here it won two Oscars so it won and Rick for Baker did the makeup makeup and he yeah won. makeup's incredible oh my mm-hmm. one um, of my uh my favorite performance like beat from Martin Landau in the whole movie is when. Uh, they're at that same party that I think you were talking about, and he's selling his next movie, and he's saying, starring Bella Lugosi, and then the guys are just like, he's, isn't that guy dead? Yeah. Then they point to him, and he's sitting at a, <laughs> he's sitting at a table, yeah. and he just notices them and looks up and just like smiles his like rotted teeth smile, like totally genuine, and just like yeah. gives this little way, mm-hmm. and it's like, <laughs> it's so, it's endearing, and it's, yeah. it's fucking hilarious. Um yeah, Martin Landau. Very good. I think if I still had a Facebook, I would make that my profile picture. Absolutely. <laughs> tipping, <laughs> tipping my drink. Uh, such a good movie. It's one of the best movies ever. It's great. Thank you for having us watch it, Andrew. Yeah, this was um, a lot of fun. I really, I had a great time watching it. So, um, yeah. Yeah. What is next? Uh, uh, I don't that's know. A, what that's is a next. great question. So, I got two possibilities um okay so my my original one i've got basically i'm gonna let you guys pick between um 2020's tesla starring ethan hawk or 2015 steve jobs hmm because they're both so they're both unconventional yeah i have not i have not seen tesla in its entirety okay 
how good is Tesla from what you've seen? I just thought it was really, I mean, as I said last time we talked about it, like I watched it during a, uh, a power outage until my computer died. <laughs> um, and it was really, there was some really interesting like stylistic things that they did that I thought were just really cool. And I love Ethan Hawke. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Um, okay. I could go for either of those. Cause I actually, I've seen Steve Jobs and I actually liked that movie. I like it a lot. Um, we um, like we're talking it. about the Aaron Sorkin one, right? Yeah. Not the Ashton Kutcher one. I yeah. could go for either. I guess I don't understand what's unconventional about Jobs. It's a, it's, it's a biopic that takes place, uh, in th- three scenes essentially. Okay. And it okay. all, they all take place in like, like right before an apple unveiling basically so you're okay. summing up this... i'm happy i'm happy with either <sighs> you guys are no help okay let's do tesla let's just let's just okay roll the dice cool yeah i haven't seen that one i'm gonna roll the dice All see right. what happens do okay so do we do any of us have a cruise minute of course okay let's do a cruise minute um so tom cruise there was a, apparently a third character in the Mission Impossible Fallout bathroom fight scene who wasn't um, Ling Yang, the guy who's the stuntman who's in mm-hmm. it. There was another like big name um, that they had to write out because apparently they could not keep up with Tom Cruise's and Henry Cavill's training. So I thought that was wow. very fun. So I don't know who it is. I'm trying to find cool. out. Um, That's cool. Are you sure we want to shame them for all of eternity by naming them? Yeah. It's just a, it just says it's a, it's a sequence. Other actors, when learning the level of commitment required, simply opted out. McCory said. Holy fuck. <laughs> yeah. So I was actually thinking about that specific scene when I watched Dune today. Um, there's a knife fight toward the end of Dune. And uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's I, I was like, I don't really like the way they've done this, but I did like the way they did it in Mission Impossible. Yeah, which wasn't a knife. Denis thing, is not still. is not an action guy. And you can tell. Yeah, I was seem like it. for sure. I was watching. This is kind of a cruise minute. I was watching one of those Cinefix videos. They did an updated version of their uh, best fights in movies um, list. And like, obviously, there's a ton of like Asian film and Asian film stars on that list as there should be. I think it's almost 100% that, um, which is understandable, but they didn't even mention even in like in the entire video, they didn't mention that bathroom fight scene or I huh. think anything from mission impossible. That's kind of surprising. And that, sh- that shocks me. Cause I think that that certainly in the last 20 years is one of the best. Yeah. Just punching fight scenes <laughs> that we've ever had. Yeah. How often do you see a man cock his fists? Yeah. I mean, truly never. <laughs> yeah. That There's only one place you can go for that. Okay. I got another. I just went down the rabbit hole. Sorry. I don't, I don't mean to uh, jump in here, but uh, I got another, I got more Tom Cruise news. This is actually pretty good. Apparently there is a uh, theory out there that Tom Cruise wore a fake ass for one specific scene <laughs> in the 2008 movie Valkyrie and The Rock is tweeting about it because he's uh 
he's a Tom Cruise ass truther. Interesting. So apparently, this is—is is he tweeting pro Tom Cruise things or what we might call anti Tom Cruise things? No, he's saying he's saying that it's not his ass, and Tom Cruise is saying that it is his ass and that he's denied Wait, it. Tom Cruise is involved is chiming in he has before this is a thing that has come up many times and there's a quote well now we're all going down this rabbit hole here's a quote a quote from this is from 2017 he says tom cruise says uh quote i do my own mooning in films (laughs) and you know what i believe if the dudes if the dude's hanging from the burj khalifa if he's hanging from the sides of jets (laughs) you're telling me he's not he's not doing his own butt work come on yeah what well just i guess i'd have to see context how long is this shot that it would justify a prosthesis <laughs> you know like yeah this is a compelling still image but huh. uh <laughs> it's out it's there. a large butt it's very bubbly i mean the dude runs the dude the dude yeah. works yeah yeah no i i have no doubt for I, sure it's it is okay i looking. just looked at the shot in context and yeah I mean, you'd have to be one vain son of bitch to get a fake ass for the scene. I think it's the fact that he's wearing jodhpurs. I think yeah, that's I enhancing it slightly. Yeah. But holy shit, that is a, an insane ass. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for joining us tonight, folks. Please join us next week for Tesla 2000. What did you say? 2000 something? 2020. 2020. <laughs> Tesla. Um, slow motion triple feature was recorded in Hollywood, USA. Special thanks to our producer Lee, the man in the booth who makes us sound great. If you'd like to contact us, please do so at slowmotiontriple at gmail.com.